RCAF Jump Seed, you are clear for takeoff. RCAF Jump Seed, the official podcast of the Royal Canadian Air Force. This week in the Jump Seat, Brigadier General Dennis O'Reilly, Chief of Staff to the Chief of Defence Staff. Now your hosts, Major David Lee and Major Dave Meister. Good day and welcome to the RCAF Jump Seat. I'm Major David Lee, along with my co-host, Major Dave Meister. Maybe the first question that you might ask us if you're one of our listeners is, what are we doing and why should I keep listening to this podcast? (laughs) What we're trying to bring is a bit more of a conversational tone into describing some of the, the people, really, and the leaders and some of the personnel within the Royal Canadian Air Force and bringing some of their stories to life. On that note, I'll, I'll introduce my, my co-host, uh, Dave Meister. Uh, Dave, over to you. I mean, yeah, maybe no, the I, question, of course, why are we doing this? Yourself, you have quite the interesting background in this material already. Yeah, you know, I always started off, why me? Well, because I've, I've got the face for radio. This was the perfect venue for me. <laughs> I'm going to go to my grave not wondering what if. So I, I've done a lot of different things and I, I've done a lot of stage work and I've also done a bit of radio in, in my past too. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm the squirrel guy. Things pop into my mind and, and I just want to go down these rabbit holes. We were talking just before the show, talking about your career. You were telling me a story about how your career almost went off the rails. You had a funny story. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm surprised to be able to introduce myself today as major uh, <laughs> because when I was a, a young second lieutenant, I I saw my career disappearing in an instant when I was tasked to supervise the bouncy castle at the kids' holiday party. And uh, there was a strict limit. They said no more than than 10 people in, and I was able to maintain that limit. But what (laughs) I didn't count on was two of the older children. They started policing the slide at the time. Basically, there was a lower area where kids could bounce around, and then there was kind of a ramp up a small platform and a slide down to exit the bouncy castle. So policing it in a good way or a bad way? Uh, it depends on your perspective All right, there, I okay. think. All right, so, so I'll the, let you tell the, the story. The, the two of them got to the top, and of course there was only 10 people inside. But what they started doing, and this is all just based on you know a column of air from some low-power <laughs> fan. The two of them were sitting on this platform, and what they were doing was stopping the other children as they went up the ramp and not letting them go down the slide. Because sometimes kids are just not nice to each other. I'll, I'll leave <laughs> yeah, it at right, that. Okay, and, yep. and, you know, this, this is a family uh, show. And so what ended up happening was there was enough of a concentration of kids. Well, that started collapsing into the middle of the entire bouncy oh, no. castle. All of a sudden, 10 tiny screams coming out of this oh, thing. No. <laughs> Moms and dads come from all corners of the gym over at Building 90. They grab the ropes. They pull it down. I, again, I just saw my career flashing before my eyes. Huh. I swear three or four kids came rolling out the end of the of the slide and one looked right at me and said, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Meanwhile, there was a, a dad and he had his two sons and they were waiting to go in and they just looked at me and said, does that mean we can go in now? Because as the kids came tumbling out, you know, the, the bouncy castle restored its shape and and my career was saved. It's okay. So this this goes to the point, right? There's stories out there. We got to tell these stories. We we got to move on to our guest though. Now he's been waiting for us. So that's true. And here for our first guest of the inaugural episode of the RCF Jump Seat is Brigadier General Dennis O'Reilly, sir. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. Part of the reason that we thought about speaking with you uh, and getting to know you a bit better, and for the for the listeners of this podcast, is that. Your own story is is quite interesting within uh, your own career in the Air Force. And so as Dave and I got together and thought about maybe some of the things that we might want to talk about with you, one of the first things that came to mind is family. One of the first things I remember when I met you, sir, uh, when you were a lieutenant colonel at the time, is that if I'm not incorrect, you have a family of seven children? That's right. Seven kids. What are some of the maybe the unique challenges uh, and stressors that come with having a family of, of that size? People talk about family in the RCAF or in the CAF as a whole. 
but I don't think they often expect a, a family maybe beyond two or three children. Yeah, so, you know, life in the forces can be difficult enough with the challenges that any family faces, whether you have kids or not, just moving frequently, uh, spousal employment, you know, selling and buying homes, all that other stuff. But we certainly didn't make life easy on ourselves by having seven kids, which is self-inflicted, to be fair, uh, based on, you know, religious beliefs we had when we were far younger. So uh, we love the big family. Honestly, there's been some real benefits of having seven kids because they've been their own cohort. And so there's unintended positive benefits of that that we didn't realize until later that our kids' friends were, I guess, less important to them or less, they needed them less during moves. Sure. Uh, but then in, in any move, and I know families out there with kids know, you know, the crying phase when you move somewhere, they miss their friends and you put them to bed and they're crying and that tears your heart out. So if you have seven kids, odds are every move, somebody's going to be doing that. Uh, but I'm certainly very grateful for what it's done for our kids. They're incredibly resilient and self-confident and uh, comfortable in their own skin. And I think our job as parents is not to protect our kids from adversity, but to prepare them for it. And I think the military provides a lot of those positive aspects to raising kids if you harness it. But uh, I would say, though, you know, we, I say we don't avoid adversity. We prepare them for it. But there are some things that are insurmountable. And so we do see families where, like, you know, education issues, uh, health issues, mental illness, uh, mental health challenges with kids. And, and I'm also seeing family members who make the call to stay, you know, that they care about their family. So... I've been lucky enough that that's never really been a showstopper for me. Uh, also because we made a decision that my wife would stay at home with the kids for 15 years. And that's that's a decision we made. But there are other couples now that they both have careers they want to pursue. And so that makes it more challenging. So right. I wouldn't say our, our life has been a model to follow or that we're some kind of model of success because it's so unique and different. It's... It's not for the faint of heart, I would recommend, but certainly <laughs> sure. there's a lot of growth there. You know, when they talk about if it builds character, well, then my kids have a lot of character. Yeah. <laughs> but so do a lot of other military kids out there, to be to be fair. So. And, and what's the age difference between the them? The oldest is 27 and the youngest are 17. They're just graduating high school, the twins. And how many, how many are still at home? Well, because of COVID, actually, a couple came home that were living on their own before. Oh, One okay. because he graduated in Ottawa and then couldn't find a job right away and ran out of money and was going to go do a master's. And so he moved home and another, cause he was studying in Winnipeg. And when we moved back, he moved home again. Okay. So, but we're going from having five at home to one when we moved to Ottawa this summer. So they're all wow. three are staying here. One's going to Saskatoon, one's in, in Europe going to school. So, and our oldest is in Ottawa as a nurse. So I'm not even sure if that math adds up, but yeah, one, <laughs> one moving in with us in Ottawa to go to school. So having one at home, that's, that's probably the that, that'll be the lowest number yet, I'd imagine. For sure. Okay. I'm not even sure what table conversation is going to look like. <laughs> I should probably Google what to talk about on a second date, because that's probably where <laughs> Doris and I are going to be at that point in our life. Like, Okay. Yeah. So, and, and sir, I've, I've had the, the privilege of working with you. I, I know how important the family is to you. I, I have trouble just you know, balancing work with, you know, trying to make it to enough kids' activities. I, I can't make it to all the kids' activities. Um, how do you do that with seven? I guess, you, like you say, they, they became their own cohort. But Yeah, we didn't do it. In fact, at one point, we realized we couldn't afford it, both the time and the money. And at one point, our kids were, we had three boys in hockey. And I was a captain. Maybe I was a major at the time, but Doris was still at home working hard, obviously, trying to coordinate our life. Far busier than I was, I would suggest. But yeah, we realized we couldn't, it wasn't sustainable. Like we had a third kid join hockey and we were like, we actually cannot afford this financially. But time-wise because I travel so much and we're in places where there's no family support. Uh, we couldn't possibly get everywhere to all the events with, with me not knowing when I was going to be there and when I wasn't. Right. 
So we actually had to tell our kids at one point, and it still saddens me here. I remember this is all self-inflicted, right? But telling them that, you know, we can't afford to put you in sports outside of school anymore. So if you want to play sports, you got to do it in school. And they were all fantastic about it. Like they, they absolutely understood it. But to this day, I still, I still struggle with the, you know, the choices we had to make because of the decisions we made about the number of kids versus, uh, versus what we could offer them. Sure. So yeah, like anything, it's a balancing act, right? You, you take the good with the bad. On that note, I mean, having seen your, your military career and the choices that, that you and your, your spouse have had to make, if, if you don't mind me asking, are, are any of your, your seven kids, have any of them considered following your footsteps, having a military career, joining cadets, anything like that? The cadets were not a big thing, not for me or, or for my kids. We tried a couple of them. They just weren't interested. And then my son is in the reserves now for three years, Fort Gary Horse here in Winnipeg. Okay. Very proud of him. He just finished his PLQ and... So he was on full-time summer employment. He loves it. He loves it. But he doesn't want to join the reg force. I, I don't know why. I think because he's got a girlfriend now. And I think that stability, he knows that he doesn't want to jeopardize the relationship. Uh, and then we got a daughter, the one that just graduated grade 12. She really wants to be a SAR tech. Okay. And for the last 18 months, two years, she's been working out hard. Like this young woman can do chin-ups, uh, sorry, pull-ups with a 20-pound weight vest. Like I think she does eight now with a 20-pound weight vest. And so she's going to go to Saskatoon, train to be an EMT. Yep. And then she wants to join the reserves as a med A and, uh, and try to get into the reserves in the field hospital in Saskatoon and then do her time, minimum time, as a reservist and apply to be a SAR tech. So she is super motivated yeah. to do Ooh, that. But that's it. Out, out of the seven kids, nobody else really interested. Well, it's interesting too that the entry path that your daughter is contemplating of kind of arming herself with certain skills first before then trying to make that transition, uh, I think speaks to some of the, the non-traditional kind of entry paths that people have uh, into the military. I think... I mean, Dave, if I can just pass it to you for a second, certainly yeah. in preparing for this uh, this session, finding out a bit about your own background, right? And and some of what brought you here. And I mean, we, we could talk, I think you and yeah. I, for, for an hour. <laughs> it's my fourth time in uniform. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's right. But no, it's, well, and I did want to um, squirrel in the room for me, sorry, but you're talking about your son being a Fort Gary Horse. Uh, now, Army, Air Force, does he, uh, and dad's a general, does he encourage you to show up in uniform or discourage you from showing up oh, in uniform? Man. I don't want to be... You know what? I regret now the moment you said that because he really doesn't want people to know. <laughs> and I, I should have, you know what? There's probably no Army people that are going to listen to this podcast, but he really wants to make his... He, he's a great guy. He wants to make his own way. Yeah. And he really avoided uh, sharing it as much as he could. Eventually, it got out. You know, the Canfor Gen came out for appointments, and so they're like... In fact, he was out on his finishing a, an exercise and they said, hey, where's your dad going this summer? And he goes, I don't know. My dad doesn't tell me anything. He goes, well, I know I've got the can for gen right here. He says, your dad's going to do this job. And so he's kind of a little embarrassed by it. And, uh, but we, we, we throw stuff around, like he calls me chair force and, you know, they have their own funny terms for us in the air force and I throw some stuff back at him, but. But it's funny when you say, you know, you wonder how many army listeners we're going to have. I think we're just hoping for listeners, period. Yeah, right? At this absolutely. point, not, not to, not to slag our own effort too much, <laughs> right? but this is, this is the first time out, right? First, first, first person through the gate always gets bloody. Yeah. Thanks for answering. I mean, it's ultimately a very personal one. Some of the people that I've served with, uh, they, they have a different answer, to be honest, about whether or not they'd want their sons or daughters serving in the military. Um, some are hard over for yes, and they say the opportunities it's offered to me are great, and I would yep. I would want my children to consider that. Other people say I would never want my, my kids to serve in uniform. That's yep. part of the reason that I serve. So it's, it's a very, uh, it's an intensely personal question, I think. Yeah, it's not for everyone. And, and when I talk about military service at grads, especially, there's lots of families at grads. And I have this sine wave that I put up there, and I call it the highs and lows of military service. And the analogy I use, I think anyway, is that 
the highs are so much higher than not being in the military. Like the opportunities are tremendous to see the world, to serve your country, to save lives. You know, that service before self, the unlimited liability and the level of training and development you get through a career is incredible. Like I don't recognize myself from when I joined 30 years ago, right? And I, I owe that to the opportunities and being pushed outside of my comfort zone. But the lows are all obviously there too. And you've got to take the whole package, right? So I, I never say that military service is better or worse than non-military service, just different, right? You have to expect the highs are going to be really high and the lows are much lower, but no regrets. And and I've seen over over the course, and, and you with uh, seven, my, my brother has five kids uh, when he was in the military. He was over, over 20 years. I know that uh, when he took uh, paternity leave, uh, you know, after five kids, they kind of start looking down their noses at them a little bit like, okay, come on now. It's your choice to have the family. Did, did you find that, did anybody, and, and I think with your wife at home, maybe you didn't take advantage of that. I don't know. But did you find, do people look at you differently when you have seven kids? Um, and then maybe, you know what, maybe we shouldn't send you on this deployment. We got this single guy over here, the single woman over there. Maybe she should go. Uh, do, do you find people were making decisions for you because of your family situation? I think it happens subconsciously, people do it, but not overtly. I never noticed that. I felt the need sometimes to say, hey, you know, just because I have seven kids, don't think you need to protect me. Like my mm-hmm. my wife is tremendously capable of handling the home front and she can fix anything, right? She, The wall came off when I was on Air Task Force Iraq, Roto Zero, and the wall came apart because of water getting behind. And she tore the wall out and put cement board up and re, uh, retiled the whole shower and oh, on her yeah, own, right? Yeah. So she's tremendously capable. So it puts me to shame, like the level of energy and, and talent that she has towards those things. So yeah, sometimes people want to make that for you, but I've been pretty lucky, but there's all kinds of biases out there, right? Like uh, you just see a white male when you look at me, but then seven kids makes me, that intersectionality, seven kids makes me different. When I was younger in my career, I was very religious. And so there's certain things you experience our life very differently. You know, if there was a culture of partying and drinking more than I wasn't necessarily included in that, but through my own choice, mm-hmm. but you could certainly experience ex- exclusion for all different reasons. Right. And we're getting much better at, at just seeing past that and saying, you know, just because they're single or they have kids or their gender, sexuality, you know, race, whatever it is, or family situation. Uh, we can't draw any conclusions from any of that any more than somebody who's left-handed. Do you know what I mean? Right or the color of your hair. It doesn't mean anything. You can't, you shouldn't make decisions about people based on anything that you can see. Yeah. Well, I so. appreciate you saying, sir, that you've never sought, uh, you know, said to people, hey, you don't have to totally protect me with seven kids. I, I've heard a few times in my own career where I've been told as a, as a bachelor, as a single person without kids, they say, oh, you don't have a family, you're single. Yeah. And my response, you know, over time developed into, well, I didn't just spawn from thin air. I mean, I, I do have like my parents, my siblings, you know, the people, and now you're hearing more, I think uh, people talk about the family and friends. And for me, my closest friends are like family. So an opportunity to still see them and not take every evening shift or not take every weekend shift or stay over the holidays is is welcome. So so on behalf of the, the single members out there, yeah. thanks for uh, for being willing to take a few hits. Yeah, even RHU policy, like, you know, our, the development of RHU policy to enable single people to stay wasn't always like that, right? We, mm-hmm. in a way, we discriminated against them, but it seems like it's a math argument. Well, you have more kids, you have more of a need for it. But the reality is how you define your family shouldn't exclude you from having access to, you know, uh, housing, for example. Right. Because your financial situation could be very different from somebody else's. So, you, you know, you can't draw any conclusions. So I'm glad to see a lot of our policies changing to remove all of those biases. Uh, but we have we have more work to do for sure. RCAF Jump Seat. Welcome back to the RCAF Jump Seat. 
And General O'Reilly, this is where we're going to shift from the jump seat to the hot seat and throw a few rapid fire questions at you. If you hadn't pursued this path and if you weren't, if you didn't join the military, what other occupation is there out there that you really would have been interested in trying on? Medicine. Okay. Yeah. Medicine. Do you want, oh, do you want, it. do you want to know why? Sure. So I, I wanted to be a doctor when no, I went to university. No, we just want the answer. Yeah. That's it. No, no that's actually, right. I, well, I wasn't sure it was one of those like 60 seconds with and you had yeah. to go rapidly. Yeah. But I actually went to university in pre-med my first year and I just, I bombed terribly. Okay. Like mm. very low self-discipline, like lazy study habits. My first year, I think I finished with like a C average. And so I, I was taking philosophy my first year and I had a prof say, well, you're really good at this, Dennis. Yeah, I'm good at making stuff up, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a better word. I, I appreciate that because that, that. That what you're describing is probably the person that you want to see when you need a, a doctor. Like, probably hey, look, not. I, I, I kind of half read this, but I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> well, what do you call someone who finishes last in medical school? A doctor. Right. right. Yeah. That would have been me. But do, you, <laughs> yeah. do you want me doing surgery? <laughs> what do you right. <laughs> Retirement is probably on the horizon somewhere in the next 5, 10, 15 years for you. Sure. What's one place that you would like to travel to that you've never had the chance to yet? I don't know that I'm a big traveler necessarily. I've done enough traveling, so I don't have any uh, aspirations to travel. But I want to get more involved in the community. So I guess if you want to talk about how do I want to spend my time? Sure. I'd like to get more involved in the community. Like uh, my wife and I talk about how we've become a little bit lonely. Like military life is lonely. And then also when you move up in the ranks, they say it's lonely at the top. Whether it's self-imposed or not, like you you've, you find lots of acquaintances and co-workers and you foster lots of strong professional bonds with people. But also we notice like, and maybe this is just us, but a life in the military, when you moved around all these years, our kids have never been to a wedding or a funeral. Like, you know, we've always been away from everything. So just getting established in a community where you have friends, where you actually get invited to their, their, their kid's wedding. Right. Right. And then getting involved in a charity, maybe serving on a, a board of directors for like a feed the homeless or just getting really embedded in a community at a level that you feel like you belong. And that's just what I miss me is, is becoming part of community again. And I've been longing for that during my career. It's not that, you know, the, the career hasn't been without other things that are absolutely amazing, but that's what I'm missing right now. And that's what I look forward to in retirement. Uh, maybe the next question for you. Um, so you're leaving Winnipeg after some years here. What's one thing that you'll miss about the city? The people. And then the restaurants. I'm a foodie. My wife and I love uh, checking out the different restaurants. And, and this will be probably the furthest away from home you'll be in quite a while, right? Because yeah. Because you're, you're from Moose Jaw originally. From Moose Jaw originally. Yeah. So I love big cities. I'm, I'm an I'm a urban guy. I like being close to shopping and restaurants and festivals and live music. And there's a lot going on in Winnipeg. What's your biggest pet peeve, sir? People who are late. We were all here on time. Yeah, yeah we were. To let, let the record <laughs> we show we were here we're before I can't, you. Yeah. And I, I will tell you, it almost causes anxiety. I don't know if it's the military in me or whether I, oh, I was always like that, but I can't stand being late and it bothers me when people are late without a good reason. Duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to you, General O'Reilly, for taking the time to join us today on RCF Jump Seat. Thanks for having me. This is cool. Also, thanks to the production staff at RCF Barker College. And thanks to you, the listener, for taking the time to tune in. We want to hear from you at RCF Jump Seat. Please let us know who do you want to talk to. You got a story out there. We want to know about it. Send us an email at rcafjumpseat at forces.gc.ca. We do want to hear from you. Please let us know. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Meister. And I'm Dave Lee. And we'll see you next time in, in the, the Jump, jump Seat. seat. <laughs> RCF Jump Seat Podcast. Copyright is Majesty of King and Right of Canada. As represented by the Minister of National Defence 2023.